2: Remember now what Saul is looking to receive of Samuel. That is the will and direction and the leading and instruction of God. You see, if we want God to guide us, we must follow the guidance that we have already received. And if Saul would have already followed the guidance and the direction and the will of God that he had already received years before, he would have never found himself in this dilemma seeking God on this particular occasion.
0: Parents give advice to their children that often isn't followed. Later, the child returns needing help because they walked the other way. Pastor Mike shares a real-life story of such an occurrence in today's message. Saul walked away from the course of the Lord and encountered trouble. Back in front of the Lord, Saul needed help that could have been avoided had Saul followed the Lord's guidance the first time around. If you get good advice from the Lord, don't think you know better and choose differently. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 28 as he continues his message, When God Doesn't Hear.
2: the woman verse 11 according to what's recorded there for in verse 11 we're not going to read it she agrees and she asks the question who do you want me to bring up for you and then Saul responds and says Samuel the prophet of God and then in verse 12 we read and when the woman saw Samuel so she went through all of the rigmarole you know in the séance all of the enchantments. I don't. I've never been to a séance, so I don't really know what it's like. It had been attributed to her that she raised the dead, but I, but God is the one actually behind this. If she had ever been, the whole thing was a sham. You know, you have you've ever driven around and you see these. You know, they'll come in and tell your fortunes, and you know you see these neon signs in people's windows and their apartments, and you know I'll tell your fortune or read the tarot cards or whatever, and this is probably one of the, these individuals. It's just it's all a sham. But if, in fact, she had had some kind of a supernatural abilities, it was demonic, it was of the devil, it wasn't of God. But she's surprised that, in fact, Samuel appears upon the scene. Because why? Because she knew that she didn't have any capacity to be able to bring back the dead to life. Only God could do something like that. So she's probably more surprised than anyone else here. Because notice again, there in verse 12, we read, And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. Yeah, she cried out with a loud voice. She probably freaked out. Right? And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, And immediately she realizes now that it was Saul who stood in her presence, I don't know how she came to that conclusion. Maybe it was Samuel who told her. Maybe she received a word from the Lord. I don't know. Maybe when Samuel appeared upon the scene, she said, hey, do you know who you got in the other room? You know, it's Saul the king. And uh, so we're not giving any insight into how she figured out that it was Saul, but nevertheless, you know, I'm reading into this now. It's only a subject of speculation. And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. And so the woman, no doubt, expected her familiar spirit to appear who this familiar spirit, this demon, would imitate the voice of the departed. But when she saw a different figure, Samuel, radiant, arising from the earth, she freaked out. You see, God had intervened allowing Samuel to come in person, demonstrating his sovereignty over the living and the dead. Now, at this point, someone may be thinking, how in the world could Samuel arise out of the earth, as is implied in our text? I mean, aren't all believers in heaven? Well, listen, remember, we're talking about the Old Testament. We're talking about the Old Testament saints. We're talking about the Old Testament dispensation. And according to Christ's teaching on this subject, like for example in Luke's Gospel in chapter 16, when people died, they went to a place called Hades. It was the abode of the dead. And it was divided into two different sections with an impossible chasm separating the two. In one compartment, you had those who had died in faith, known as the righteous, and their experience was that of living in paradise. And for them, it was an experience of peace and tranquility. And then in the other compartment, you had the abode of the unrighteous, those who died without faith in God. And for them, that was a place of torment. It was known in the Bible in the Old Testament as Sheol or Gehenna. It was the place of the unrighteous. And by the way, that's the reason why, but in the book of Ephesians in chapter four, just in case you were wondering about what Jesus did for the three days, you know, when he died on the cross, he rose again on the third day. Have you ever asked yourself the question, what was Jesus doing for those three days? I mean, why didn't he come back like in in three hours? What was he doing for three days? Well, I think we're given a little hint An answer to that question in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, in verse 8. There we are told, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. So what he did for those three days? He went into Hades, and he addressed every one of those individuals who died in faith, the righteous, because remember, at this time it was impossible to enter into heaven. It was only through the sacrifice that Jesus made, dying upon the cross, that satisfied God's requirements to be able to enter into that place, that abode, with the holy God. And so he led captivity captive. You see that? He made it possible for the righteous, who died in faith under the Old Testament dispensation, to actually enter into heaven the dwelling place of a holy God, our holy God, the Father. And that's also, by the way, that you know, after Jesus' death, we are told that many people who had died appeared to their loved ones before they actually left and went into heaven. You, are you familiar with that text of Scripture in the Gospel? There were all of these appearances of people who had already died. Those were the people who had died in faith. Those were the righteous who had faith in God. And after Jesus died on that cross, that's what Jesus was doing for three days. He was preaching the same gospel that I'm preaching to you this morning. You see. And upon their acceptance of Christ, he led them from that captivity there in that location in Hades into the very presence of God in uh, heaven. So the abode of the dead, and it's being divided into those two sections. So I hope that I explained that correctly. Well, all at once the woman realized who it was who asked her to use her iniquitous gifts and then turning to Saul, she said, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice and the woman spoke to Saul saying, why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And once again, Saul reassures her that no punitive action, according to verse 13, would be taken and then he asks her what she had seen. Notice there in verse 14. She asked, what is his uh, form? In verse 14. So he said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up, and he is covered with a mantle. And this was the mantle that identified Samuel as a prophet and a priest. That was one of the ways that she was able to recognize Samuel for who he was. That mantle was a part of his identity. The mantle would be a garment that the uh, priest or a prophet would wear. It would identify them as such. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and he bowed down. So realizing that it was Samuel, Samuel bowed in homage. And then Samuel reproves the king for his actions and only reinforces Saul's fears. Okay, let's pick up now verses 15 through 19. Now, Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me? And I like this. And what does that suggest uh, to us? Well, wherever Samuel was, folks, it was a place of comfort, it was a place of blessing. So he's basically asking, Why did you bring me back? You know. And uh, you know, so I, I think that speaks volumes to us about you know the bright future and hope that there lies ahead of us as a Christian, as a child of God. You know, in that place where there's no more sorrow, where there's no more tears, where there's no more sickness, where we're actually in the presence of the of the one who is the object of our affection for the rest of eternity. You know, no more sorrow, no more fear, just peace. What a hope we have in Jesus, right? So anyway, he asked that question, why did you bring me back? Why did you disturb me? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me. God has departed from me. No, no, Saul, you're making a big mistake here. God didn't depart from you. You departed from God. Let's get that straight. God didn't depart from you. You see, it's a choice that we make. You got no excuses. Put the blame where the blame is due. It's on you, you see. Always remember that. And he won't answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should uh, do. Then Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. This is, you know, old news. Samuel had already told him all of this verse, before he passed away. Verse 18, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek and the Amalekites, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. You know, going back to one of our previous studies, remember God had instructed through the prophet Samuel, one of the first duties of the king, the first king of Israel, was to obliterate the Amalekites off of the face of the earth. God demanded that they go and fight against the Amalekites and kill every last one of them. You say, how uncharitable is that? Well, you've got to understand who the Amalekites were. You know, one of, their, one of the things that they would do is in, in worshiping their gods, they would take their newborn children, place them upon the altar, and burn their children alive as a sacrifice unto their god Molech. And God just these these people would they would have polluted the earth if they if they continued to to live if they remained upon the earth it's like the reason why God you know destroyed the earth during the time of Noah if he allowed the people to continue on the course that they were there wouldn't have been one righteous person left you know so God intervened in the affairs of man even as folks I got to tell you something. God's going to, once again, intervene in the affairs of man. And I think it's going to be pretty quick here. The way things are going, I I know God is long-suffering and patient and stuff, but, you know, I think the stench of the people's sin is coming up before God as a remembrance. And I think that God, being who he is, a holy God, has to act. Do you believe that? And I don't think it's going to be all that long before God uh, acts once again and intervenes in the affairs of, of man. And so because of his disobedience, remember, he left some of the Amalekites. He took the king uh, and some of the booty. Remember, they took uh, some of the animals, some of the best animals, and distributed uh, to some of his soldiers. And uh, remember the instructions. They were supposed to kill every man, woman, child, destroy all, all of their livestock. They took the king of the Amalekites and they, they held him for ransom. This was all done in absolute disobedience. This is one of the very first reasons why the Bible tells us that God repented of ever allowing Saul to to become the first king over Israel because of his disobedience. So Samuel is rehearsing that for him once again here in verse 18, reminding him of that. Therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Now what do we take away from this? Remember now what Saul is looking to receive of Samuel. That is the will and direction and the leading and instruction of God. You see, if we want God to guide us, we must follow the guidance that we have already received. And if Saul would have already followed the guidance and the direction and the will of God that he had already received years before, he would have never found himself in this dilemma seeking God on this particular occasion, you see. We don't need any further instruction, we got it all. You know what you're supposed to do. That is, unless you're a babe in Christ, if you've been walking with the Lord. I don't see how you can attend our services week in and week out, go through the Bible the way that we go through the Bible, and you know, offer these crazy excuses why you're not walking with the Lord. Listen, those excuses don't fly with God. You guys should be the most well-versed people in the Bible, you know, than any other Christians in New York City. And and this isn't, I'm not, you know, trying to boast about Harvest Christian Fellowship or whatever. I mean, but we place such a high premium upon the study of the Word of God. There's no excuses for any of us, you know, to not know God's will for our lives, right? We try to always share God's Word in practical, down-to-earth fashion and, you know, always find a, a, an application for it in practical ways. Well, anyway, let's go on here. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow, oh my gosh, tomorrow! You know, God forbid. You know, we're seeking, Lord, Lord. You know, help me get out of this. The prophet responds and says, "Tomorrow, your worst fears are going to be realized." Tomorrow. Hey, listen, you know what? If you're walking up brightly before the Lord, you'll never face those tomorrows. In fact, know what will happen instead? Joy comes in the morning. That's what the Bible tells us. Joy will come in the morning. Tomorrow, he says, tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. Where's me? Dead. The Lord will also deliver the armies of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Listen, gang, for Saul... Time had run out. There actually comes a time when time runs out. That's why the Bible tells us in the Old and New Testament, we're reminded today is the day of salvation. Today is the acceptable time. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. None of us have any assurances of uh, tomorrow. We can only imagine, as Samuel spoke, it was as if he was being slammed with a hammer. And then in verse 20 we read, Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day or all night. And so Saul, his terrified body is weakened from a lack of food, and he just couldn't get up. He just laid there on the ground. How tragic is Saul's condition. It reminds us of so many who spend their lives rejecting the Lord, refusing to acknowledge God's claim upon them. They imagine they can have the best of this world and the next. They plan to live for the present, satisfy the desires of their lusts and their flesh, thinking just before I die, then I will confess my sin and I'll be saved for all of eternity. You know what that's called? Deathbed confessions. But again, we don't have any guarantees. You know how little people understand the course of sin. It hardens the heart until repentance becomes impossible and their end is like Saul's. Joyless, helpless, hopeless. And notice upon hearing Samuel's words, there is no repentance. There's just the dread of what lay before him. Well, the woman, recovering from her initial shock, sees Saul lying on the floor prostrate and is moved to care for him. And then in verses 21 and 22 we read, And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, Look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice, And I have put my life in my hands and heeded the words which you spoke to me. Now, therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. You know, this is sort of like someone who's on death row eating their last meal before they're being executed. I mean, that's the equivalent of what's being recorded here for us. So at first notice, Saul refused, but she prevailed upon him. And then finally we read in verses 23 through 25. Refused and said, I will not eat. So his servants together with the woman urged him, and he heeded their voice. Then he arose from the ground and said on the bed, Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house, and she hastened to kill it. And she took flour and kneaded it and baked Unleavened bread. And after eating that meal, Saul and his servants retraced their steps through the darkness back to their camp on the slopes of Mount Keboah, where we're first introduced to them here at the beginning of this chapter, probably arriving by sunrise. For Saul, there's not much to be encouraged about, which, gang, is always the case when we allow sin to separate us from God. What happens? We're left alone to fend for ourselves and often against an enemy that's bigger than ourselves. And so Saul left this strange encounter, resigned to his fate. There's nothing really that he could do. The additional information that within 24 hours he and his sons would be dead was no help to his morale He would have been better without it, not inquiring in the first place. He did himself no good by doing what he decreed uh, to be unlawful. God's word stood and could not be altered. He shouldn't believe that he could reverse its judgment. The Lord did not answer him, why? Because there was no more to be said. And so in verse 25, so she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose, and they went away that night. Lots of lessons for us to learn here within this chapter.
1: In my father's house There's a place for me In my father's house Where I lost
0: The book of 1 Samuel details how the nation of Israel transitioned from the era of having judges to a time period where they demanded to have a king rule over them. The pages that then followed include the rise and fall of King Saul, as well as introducing a person in the Bible that becomes one of the greatest men of faith, David, 1 Samuel's book of action and adventure but also a reminder of God's swift consequences or judgment when people fall away from Him. So often you might wonder how a passage relates to you today, but there's always something to apply from God's Word, and this book is no exception. Take the life lessons in this book and keep them in mind as you're faced with decisions to make and directions to go. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike, visit HarvestNYC.org or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us. You can join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. There's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Find out more on our website, HarvestNYC.org. Make plans to join us on Thursdays, too. We're meeting virtually to jump back into the Word midweek and worship the Lord. That starts at 7.30 p.m. online at HarvestNYC.org. That's all we have time for today. Join us again for more from 1 Samuel right here on In My Father's House.
1: I